0: Back, process preparation and performance. I'm Coach Duke. This is Coach Simmons, and we are here with the Waynesville Tigers head football coach, Joe Haynes. Welcome, Coach. How are you?
1: Doing well. Thank you for having me out here with you guys.
0: We know things have been turned upside down a little bit with quarantine. We know that people are enjoying the podcast, apparently, because we got a lot of people listening. And to all those that are listening, we're extremely humbled and thankful for. You guys taking some time out just to hear us ask some questions of some amazing people across the country and into Canada. So let's get this started, Coach, if you don't mind. And I'm going to ask the first question. Why Waynesville? To
1: me, when I first came, I said, this place looked like a sleeping giant. Okay. I looked into the the history when I was applying and looking for different jobs. My son lives in West Plains, and my wife had asked me if i looked in Missouri for any jobs, and I was like, well, not lately. Matter of fact, I actually looked at Jeff City at one point, but uh, she said, well, Jalen lives in, in Missouri, why not go up there? And I'm thinking, first off, that state is huge. You know, we could be five hours away, <laughs> but it didn't matter to her. But, you know, I saw it as a sleeping giant when I looked in the history, that hadn't won a game in two years. Uh, there was a 21 game losing streak at the current time. It intrigued me, and got my interest going, and I was curious, so. I dug in and realized that it had been less than just about 10 years since they won a state championship, which means there was some type of talent level that was pretty consistent. dug a little deeper, found some photos, and boom, I see this huge high school with apparently facilities that are out of this world. And I'm thinking, who gave the keys up to that castle and what was wrong with it? So, you know, that really made me dig even deeper. Facilities. The resources within the community. Uh, then I started looking into the military that was connected here, that instantly instantly led me to believe there was a diverse uh, community as far as the student body goes. My alma mater, you know, if you you guys are on the Zoom meeting. You can see behind me this jersey and flag is my alma mater from high school: orange, black, and white. So the school colors match. That that photo up there is a place I've worked. It's called B- in Batesville, Arkansas. Same school colors. And, I, and, my, and my kids graduated from Batesville, my wife and I graduated from Newport, and I said, hey, that orange and black is just calling, so let's just yes. go see what it's about. You know? I mean, it all felt great. It felt like it was the right fit for me, personally, at the same time, because I mean, they did call me and interview me, and then they actually asked if I would like to have a job, so I still had a chance to say yes, I wanted it, or no, I declined. Uh, but I felt like, you know, ultimately I could help provide the structure to turn the program back to its competitive ways of the past, and from the athletic director and the structure, as far as the school and how everything ran, I felt like you could really be a good shot and making something special and letting everybody else who watched this thing go backwards say, man, I wish I would've jumped on board, you know?
2: You mentioned the, the military presence in, in Waynesville and, and you've been there two years. I was looking up in your bio that you sent us when you were at Newport, you were in the ROTC program. My question for you is, you do have somewhat of a transient population the, that is in Waynesville with the base down there. what have you had to kind of deal with that or, or how do you how do you think that might impact
1: what you're doing in the future? Well it, I really bring it with my coaches they will tell you the same I bring a simple approach and that is we have to stay on our toes. If you think about surrounding areas, for example, Lebanon is 30 minutes uh, west of us, Raleigh is 30 minutes east, Camdenton is about 40 minutes north. Those three communities, are the closest thing to Waynesville and everybody sees those kids who grow up together They know mm-hmm. each other. So you have traditions that grow from kindergarten through 12th grade In most occasions for those kids. Which means that when you also athletically have a group that comes through that you say, hey, that 8th grade group is loaded, boys. In three years, we're going to be set. Well, in Waynesville, we have that, but it's, you know, 12 kids. Mm-hmm. And then you've got another 35 kids that are in that group that maybe came from the military. So, we have to have a system in place that allows us to move the next kid in the next day, literally, and get them caught up to speed, which means we can't be overcomplicated in our schemes. And we can look at, we have to look objectively as far as who's the best player rather than what we see and who we knew for the last five years, because there's a sense of entitlement that comes in with that. And, and gelling that is really, to me the easiest way to deal with it has been to be transparent with the families, who are just now moving to Waynesville, making this their home currently or permanently, and the families that were already here in this region that are not going anywhere. Treating each kid as a player and not as a, well, that's a Waynesville kid, and, well, that kid came from Georgia, he's a military kid. Just simply saying, we're orange, black, and white stripes, Tigers, and whomever we can put on the field on Friday night that would help us get the W, that's what we go with. And then just trying to find the place for each one of those kids to fit in whatever they do really well. That's how we've been able to handle it. For me, I was a military kid growing up, so I know exactly how that feels uh, to, to have somebody welcome you day one or not welcome you. And for me, it was like, well, the Waynesville kids are going to feel welcome because this is home. But somebody that moves here, I want to make sure they understand, hey, you're here now. You're one of us. You're one of ours. you got free rights and reign just like everybody else, and the opportunities are equal just the same.
0: Have you experienced in your two years there any kids or how many of you experienced that have been in and out and left because of their parents getting reassigned and things like that?
1: Every year so far there's been somebody. The first summer, there was a young man, his name was a KT Terran. He was a running back, going to be a sophomore. KT was hands down the next best athlete on our football team. Everybody knows uh, Sheen Butler Lawson, who was a very highly recruited running back we've had. He signed with Missouri Western but made big news in this region when Purdue showed up last spring and offered him a scholarship. Well, Sheen would have been a junior in 18, and KT was the next guy as a sophomore. He, uh, I want to say, was right as we went into the dead period in August, KT calls me and says, or messages me some way, somehow, says, Coach, can I talk to you tomorrow? And this is a kid who won't say, guys, I'm telling you, he wouldn't say a word. I mean, he wouldn't scream if you stepped on his foot. That's how quiet he was. (laughs) So to get a message from him, all of a sudden I was kind of alarmed, like this is a 911 situation. And he says, I'm moving. Oh, okay, cool. When? He says, Wednesday. And I'm thinking, Holy crud. What do you mean? We've just gone through our entire 20 day, you know, uh, contacts and we've got our depth chart set. We're ready to come back in August and roll into week one preparations. And now I'm like, well, there goes my number two running back who moves to Virginia and actually helps that team win a state championship the same year. Oh man. (laughs) So it's like, well, there's that one, you know, uh, some, we had some young kids that left that were here at 18 that would have probably started. I think there was three kids that would have started as sophomores going into the 19 season that moved from the end of football all the way up into the end of the school year. So it's, it's a give or take. We've had some that moved in since I've been here also that moved in and started year one. We had, I lost KT, but I picked up three starters. Uh, one, one of them is, is playing at uh, central Missouri now. His name is Desmond Dawkins. Another one was uh, Sergio Carrillo, who played uh, this past season at Westminster. And then Charles Willingham, who was actually was a junior, ended up starting for us on the O-line, D-line his junior year, and then was a senior, uh, started for us on the O-line. We get a few that moved in that they're not quite ready, but, you know, they grow or they just say, no, I don't think I can – I want to do it anymore. and You know, it's just kind of give or take, but – we roll with what we get, just like most every other high school coach. You know, in the public schools, you get you roll out there with a deck of cards, and you got two threes and fours. Hey, you show up like you got a full house, you know, and you go to work. So <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> there is
2: a lot of truth in that. That is for sure. What's uh What's been the biggest surprise for you since coming to Waynesville?
1: Well, when I when like I said, when I got here, the biggest surprise initially was uh, the high quality of the athletic facilities across the board, and even more so within the football program. I mean, we've got. Two top-of-the-line weight rooms on the high school campus. One is in a football field house, and then literally a jog down the sidewalk. There's another one that is 35 yards long, uh, almost 20 yards across, in which we time running 20s, you know, speed 20s. We time our 20s in there with plenty of space to slow down and stop without crashing to the wall. Uh, We can fit probably nearly 70 kids in there and go through a workout if need be. We've had two separate football stadiums with turf for our senior high and junior high. So there's never any conflict when it comes to facility usage. Coming from Arkansas, I was, every place I had been, we had one field with two teams. And one played on Thursdays and one was on Monday or Friday. You had to figure out the practice schedules and work around that a little bit. And then, of course, on game days, there were st- certain things that had to be done. But here, we've got everything you could ever imagine. There are some schools that I've gone to see, colleges here in this state, that don't hold a candlestick to what we have in that demeanor when it comes to the facilities. So we're very fortunate. And there's so many things that we have that are at our disposal. We I feel like sometimes we haven't even tapped the tip of the iceberg all the way because the kids here, they just, they know what we have. They've never had to do or deal with anything less than. So sometimes our turkeys get, you know, you can see them as being deemed as spoiled because they don't realize how good they have it. But Hey, I'd rather than be spoiled than deprived, so I'm good with that.
0: That's okay, too. I want to talk to you a little bit about your bio because, you know, when I looked at it, I think you coached everything but quarterbacks, and I'm sure at some point you coached some quarterbacks in, in something they were doing. I've done something similar. JR's, you know, coached a lot of different positions, and whenever I'm asked, hey, would you mind helping out coach this position? I usually say, that's my favorite position on the field. I'd love it, man. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's one of my top two favorites or whatever. Right. Do you have a favorite position? Do you have something that just you're running in on the field with your hairs on fire every day because you get to work with a certain group of young men? Maybe that's the O-line, maybe that's the D-line, the guys in the trenches, or do you like working with secondary? What, what's your favorite, Coach?
1: When I got into this thing, of course, I played skill. I was a skilled guy in high school, you know, receivers, running back, defensive back. So that was where I was, I was on fire for when I first came into it put me out there with some DVs and receivers, and I'll be out there for an hour and a half just running through drills and then say, oh, yeah, by the way, we got to learn these plays, you know. (laughs) And then the best thing that ever happened to me in 2008, a guy by the name of Craig Stave, he was the – basically he was the offensive coordinator for the ninth grade program at Batesville Junior High. He had called the offense for the senior high at one point as well. He told me to go and work with the offensive line. He said, and I was like, Coach, I'm a, I'm a DB. I'm a receiver. I don't know anything about blocking down there. And he said, Joe, trust me. And, and Coach Dave had a he had a weird way of just making things communicate and click and really making you believe that what he's saying is a great idea, and you just didn't go against it. And he said, man, you go over there and spend one year with the offensive line, and I guarantee you, you will never regret it. You'll learn more football in a week than you ever known. True. Said, okay. Four years later, I'm still doing O-line. <laughs> Buddy, I'm talking. People start talking about football, and I'm like, what's the blocking scheme? Well, what does that matter? Because if the big boys don't know, it's not going to work. I became a big-time fan of the O-line and even more appreciative when those backs start fuss- fussing in the backfield about not blocking. <laughs> okay, boys, bring it in. Next play, O-lay, three and five. Here we go. <laughs> and you know, somebody gets popped in the backfield, and you're going to help that running back up and say, next time you want to tell us how to do our job, uh, we'll let that happen again. Or you can pat us on the back and go get your 1,000 yards this season. Understand? <laughs> and so I fell in love with the O-line. Uh, naturally, that that flipped when I got a chance to coach D-line when I was at Lyon College. And I was like, forget that back end. This is where it's at, baby. I still think I can go out there and coach DBs and receivers with no script. You just tell me what your scheme is. Coach, I want to run cover three. Well, what kind of alignment do you want? You want inside shade? You want outside technique? You want loose press? How do we want to do this? And a guy asked me that question about cover three, and I, he said, tell me everything you know about cover three in three minutes or less, go. And I asked him a question. What technique do you want? What? You want a zone flip, band flip, inside technique, lose. Oh, never mind, never mind. I said, yeah, you're going to have to get to that book, buddy, because this is going to be different, you know. Yeah. Right. But always have a love for it, you know, the, the O-line, the D-line. I love it when those guys are down there rocking and rolling because everything they do is a direct success to the rest of the team on both sides of the ball. So I always try to find love for the big boys every chance I get.
2: What gets you the most excited at practice?
1: I think it's like when, it, when the light bulb comes on, especially a young kid, and you just have that aha moment where it clicks, you know. All, you know, we you guys are experienced where he, that kid is he's struggling, he's struggling, and all of a sudden he comes and asks you that one question, and you're like, what? You've been struggling over that one little piece, and then you say, yeah, that's it, and he goes, oh. And then boom, that joker's is hundred miles an hour and you're thinking, What happened? You know, those moments I love. Of course, you know, the older guys getting excited and you know, jawing at the young one and then the young one that steps up and doesn't back down, oh man, that gives me goosebumps to get my hair standing. And the kids are teasing me, they say, Coach, how you get hair on your neck and your ball head? And I said, Okay, okay. You know, so having that fun and getting like that and the competitive rise that comes out of those kids that get that light bulb moment, man. That's that's what, that's, that's what makes all this thing special when it comes to coaching and working with kids.
2: Several stops that you had in northeast Arkansas with colleges and high schools. What do you see as the difference between Arkansas and Missouri high school football?
1: The biggest advantage that Arkansas has over Missouri currently is they can actually coach 12 months a year. You can talk football with your kids every day, seven days a week. You can wear a helmet 12 months out of the year in, in Arkansas. You just, I mean, you can throw a football every day if you want it. You just can't put on your shoulder pads. So Mm -hmm. having that time in the off season for, you know, all those years I was there, we were able to start teaching the why to what we do and take a week and say, all right, this week alone, we're going to explain why we run this coverage and the different things that you're learning that you can see because of how we do it. And then we give them the, you know, the positives of what we're doing defensively, as well as what we understand we're going to give up and what's going to be struggling. But the kids get a grasp a concept of why we do it. And then you can teach them how to be a better player and with that knowledge and understanding so that they're not moving so slow. Well, in Missouri, really, you get 20 days to do that in the summer at the, with the current rules. And that's it. Once you get through that, everybody hits August, you are no longer trying to necessarily teach that kid the whys. You're scheming against who you are got to play. And then it just becomes, can I teach this scheme to our team as best I can so we can have a chance to win? And if I get a chance to explain the why, I'll take it. But that's the biggest advantage Arkansas has. They also play 10 regular season games and you get a, a preseason. Here, most are nine regular season games with the Jamboree. Our preseason game doesn't have any, in Arkansas, doesn't have a limit to how many plays. It's just a clock. You play four quarters if you want to play full four quarters. You can go 20 minute half. It really becomes up to the schools and those coaches what they want to do. So you can really give your young kids a true shot to get out there and get a full quarter of experience and evaluate your entire team for what it's worth rather than trying to count plays and making sure, you know, little Johnny gets his three and Frank gets his three. Like for us, our jamboree here in Missouri for Waynesville, I play my number ones really one true game. And then after that, I'm pulling them. And I'm trying to play my twos, threes, and down the line because those guys need to get some film time. If I can't get them on film, I can't adequately – tell them why they have fallen short according to what we feel our standards are, you know? Yeah. If you take away that limitation, you can play four quarters and say, hey, all my ones got the first, all my twos got the second, and so on and so on. That's where I think the difference is in Arkansas. And I will say this, I was on a Zoom meeting with Coach Drake up in zoo last Friday, and he asked the question, you know, any questions. That's the one I posed to him, was when Coach Odom was there, and I talked with him and, and his uh, uh, director of recruiting, at their spring practices and said, hey, what are you guys gonna do when it comes to spring football? Every state surrounding this state has it. Would you be willing to help us high school guys get on board? And when Coach Odom was there, the the rep told me, well, we don't want to get involved with politics. But Coach Drake said it really really fast. Guys, I was at Arkansas when Houston got it started for the state of Arkansas. I would love to go about that approach here and not necessarily worry about getting it perfect, but just getting it right. And then we'll work on the details later. Just let us get a football out. Let us let us get a football and go out there and and, and and talk. We don't even have to have a football. Just let us go on a field for 10 days and teach our kids. We can take that in year one and two, and then we can progress if it works. So that was very enlightening and very encouraging because he understands, yeah, the, the, the product here could be better if you gave the coaches an opportunity.
0: Oh, 100%. 100% and I love a couple things that you said and I'm going to comment on them and with the Jamboree game that you have in Arkansas, the actual game, you really are getting better information on your kids that aren't starters because you're going to rely on them at some point point. and if you're going to hope that that kid does something and you don't have fact or strategy to back it up or proof rather, that's not a good strategy. Hope without facts or proof is not strategy. That is a recipe for failure. Yes. Not just for your football team, but for that kid, because he's not going to want to come back if he's getting his ass kicked in the jamboree, right? You're not helping him in some way, shape, or form. So I, I completely agree. You brought it up spring football contact days. So I'm gonna go off script here. Misha has apparently eliminated contact days. I gotta be honest with you, it scares me a little bit. Yeah. Because baseball, basketball, wrestling, football, track, name a sport, and that coach decides we're going all out this summer, how do we help the kids? And should we keep it regulated in some fashion?
1: Waynesville, we have, I believe it's 20 plus sports. And my program, I know two thirds of my team are multiple sport athletes, two, three, or even some of them four when you take outside school activities.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That 20 days, I can understand having a limit for not overloading and then taking that cap off this summer. The issue is, is in my mind, is how many hip, knee, ankle, Achilles injuries are we gonna see this year because people are gonna hit the ground 100 miles an hour and not have a, a natural, a realistic thought process of understanding these kids have been sitting around for two months. I don't yeah. care what kid types on social media out here grinding and showed himself running two hill sprints. All <laughs> right. They're out there for 15 minutes. And then the other rest of the day, they're sitting down, you know, they're either on the computer working or they're really doing nothing. For me, I feel like we have to come together. Each school has to come together and just be smart. Just because you were given an unlimited amount of days doesn't mean you have to max them out. Stick with your 20. How's that going to, I mean, we got 20 in July that you can knock out. Or if you combine June and July, two, three weeks of each, then you take the month of August, that's still giving you, what, was it 10 weeks before you really crank up into the week one? I'm thinking six to eight weeks is what we really are going to need of true training to get our kids back acclimated to being where we need them to be, whatever that sport may be. Three weeks, two to three weeks of just strict conditioning, it's probably adequate before they start feeling like their normal selves. So stick to that. Uh, One of the plans, matter of fact, I have a meeting on Thursday with our athletic director and a few of the other head coaches and our uh, strength conditioning coach, my D line coach, he's big in, in, in uh, strength conditioning type stuff. And we're going to put together a plan for the month of June, where all of our athletes are going to be treated as one general body, no sports specific, just strictly going to train our kids to get them back to being who they were before we went to spring break. And once we get through the month of June, boom, we hit July, hey, let's go rock and roll. It's football season, football guys, go do your football thing. If you're basketball, hit your summer camps. If you're baseball and you can play, let's do it. That will give us enough time to at least get those kids' legs back underneath them and then allow us to go into that thing safely, securely, without having to worry about injuries to a mass level. Because our athletic trainers, yeah, you think the hospital workers are working hard now? The athletic trainers are going to be calling for backups this coming fall because there's going to be some people that don't go into it cautiously with the brakes on a little bit. They're going to pull the emergency brake and say, let's go.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think that just because we can doesn't mean we should. Right. And that as the adults in the situation, and I'll be honest with you, I wish Misha wouldn't have done that. I understand some of their thought process, but there's going to be somebody out there that they're going to battle for kids and the kid's going to be in the middle. And like you said, there'll be an injury somehow, some way. Yeah. And I'd hate to see a kid get an injury if football is his primary, but he's being pulled to another sport. Exactly. And he, he pulls an injury at the end of July because he had to go to some camp, and he misses the first six weeks of his football season or whatever it may be. Right. I think we just have to be smart about it. I'm going to follow up with a little technique stuff. Waynesville sounds like they're in good hands. Seven and four last year, ranked 10 in class five. Got to love it. Oh, yeah. Congrats. Congrats. 40 kids with postseason honors in some way, shape, or form all over the state, all over the map. Love to hear that. Let's talk a little offensive scheme. Let's talk a little. uh, You like the O-line guys? I like them, too. Give us what you like and give us a tip, something that we you can teach to others in the next. you got the floor, pick your time, two minutes, three minutes. one thing that you do that you think people need to incorporate yesterday.
1: number one, it's and it really i'm I'm really a traditionalist, I guess, in a sense, because I don't think we have to make things too complicated. So evaluate your players, allow them to do what they do best athletically. Don't get in your own way because, If the kids can't perform the scheme that you have in mind, you don't have a chance anyway. Don't allow your, like this spring of having 5,000 Zoom opportunities and you've got 87 different schemes that you've learned and you're like, man, I can't wait till day one. (laughs) No. (laughs) In all honesty, you know that's not going to work, okay? But take what you can do. Take what your kids can do, should I say. Learn how to teach them how to be really good at what what they do. You know, we've got got a young man. He'll be a senior this year. His name is A.J. Martin. AJ is a phenomenal athlete. Now, AJ can play defensive back. He can probably play quarterback if he had enough time. He'd probably be running back if he had enough time to develop. But right now, AJ runs routes without thinking about it. So guess what? AJ is going to be all route, a good deep threat route runner, and he runs a two hundred meter dash and track, which equivalents to the Jets sweeping football in my mind. So let's let AJ do what he does best and hit the curve and hit straight away and just run. You know. Yep. You find your kids that have their niche, and you say, well, every time that kid's in, they, that's all he does. So what? Do it until somebody stops you, <laughs> all right? <laughs> if you've got a big bruiser who doesn't cut left and right, don't run zone with him. Let him run ISO up the gut and let him go pounding. But if you have a big guy back there that doesn't want to hit uh, and he's a slasher, then, yeah, run your zone scheme and let it work. For me, personally, I feel like a well-rounded approach on offense is what you have to have. But we run a pro spread attack because we have enough athletes that I can make you cover down on all six or five of my eligible guys. I say six because my quarterback's a threat too. Even if he's a 4 seven forty, he can give me four yards if he runs his own read the right way. And four yards times three, y'all know what that equals. First down. <laughs> <out. laughs> okay. And so, touchdown. Oh, yeah, there you go. Eventually you're going to get six points. And so that's what, that's how I take it on the offensive side. Put our kids in a position to do what they do really well. And don't ask them to do more unless they show you they can, number one, mentally comprehend and hold such, and if physically they are up to the challenge. Because we all want our guys to feel successful. We want them to be confident when they hit the field. So if I got a guy who, you know, he's a great route runner, but we're going to play a team that's going to blitz off the edge and he doesn't feel comfortable changing his, his routes according to blitz adjustments, well, dang it, I can't ask him to do such. So just give yeah. him what he can do or what I need him to do regardless so that he can still be great at what he does. That's how we've operated two-quarterback system, basically. I told my guys, if you're the number one and if you're, you're the starter naturally, if you're the backup to the number one, you will be starting somewhere on the field. Because if you're good enough to back him up, that means you're good enough to be on the field to help us somewhere. Mm-hmm. So for two seasons now, I've had my one and my two both starting in some shape, form, or fashion. They're both taking snaps throughout the game or lining up at receiver or even playing defensive back if needed because we want to get our best 11 out there. Uh, In the backfield, we're going to have a stable of running backs. Can you say there's a a number one back? Sure. But he's going to have two or three guys behind him that, like I mentioned, they do one thing really good and I'm going to let them do that one thing really good when it's time to do it. And if you figure it out as a defense, congratulations, but you can't stop all of them at the same time. So have fun. (laughs) And on the flip, the flip side, we do the same thing on defense. You know, we run a 4 two, five defense, which is a very flexible defensive scheme. And we give each kid their one part and say, this is how you do your job really well. And i allow the defensive coordinator to conduct the entire puzzle pieces and be the puppet master, basically. So those kids go out there and they think about their job and they execute their part to where our, our full 11 looks very good.
2: You've been around football for a while. Who's the best athlete you've seen?
1: You guys are familiar with D'Angelo Williams, running yep. back, played at the uh, Carolina Panthers for the most part of his career, ended the last part at Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. I actually competed against D'Angelo from junior high through senior high. We were in the same football conference in high school. Oh, man. Okay. And he was five foot eight at best, okay, with a helmet on, 5'9 and a half, all right? He was a hard-working joker, man. But the thing is, is he an NFL-caliber player when after he went to Memphis. But he wasn't even the best. Best athlete in our conference when we were in high school. But a guy by the name of Chris Baker. Chris Baker was about uh, 6'3", 6'4", solid, wide receiver. I'm talking 4'3", or better, 40-yard dash kid at Osceola High School. All right? He had played a short stint at the University of Arkansas. Chris Baker, as a true freshman, was moved up to the varsity and was one-on-one beating our Division I defensive back as a senior, Courtney Ratliff. Was a guy who went to Arkansas Tech, and he was taking those guys and eating lunch with them. I mean, he was the freak of all freaks that I've ever been across the field from, looking across the sideline, whatever you put it. Uh, at high school level, he shocked. I mean, he was across the board, uh, the best. And you talk about going to a hundred meter dash, state, uh, district finals. You know, for a conference championship, and you got D'Angelo and Chris Baker both in the finals, and at the fifty meter mark. Chris Baker is looking back over his shoulder because he's got everybody beat by 15 meters. He's high-stepping and talking noise because he knows. All he has to do is cross to the finish line in first, and he's going to stay. And D'Angelo is humping it to finish in second, you know. <laughs> but Baker's way up there, like, yeah, I'm the best. That's right. And, well, work ethic plays in the park because just freak athleticism, athleticism doesn't get you all the way to the show. That's for sure.
2: Kind of reminded me of uh, the 30 for 30 they did on Marcus Dupree. Yeah. Which is the best that never was. And we were talking to somebody on this podcast. I can't remember, it was several weeks ago, and I said, you know, there's been a lot of great athletes that Jeff City never saw, and there's a lot of great athletes that a lot of places never saw. But whatever happened to Chris?
1: I know he went to U of A. He went to junior college. I think he, got, he qualified. He was at U of A, either one or two seasons, and then that's it. I don't know anything else, man so but he was a phenomenal athlete no doubt about it I mean this guy was he I mean he had everything you wanted for an athlete in general he probably could play any skill position I know in junior high he was the quarterback and he could still throw it and by the time he's in high school yeah he was a split in and play defensive back and was just phenomenal
0: we always tell kids that one of the saddest things you'll ever say in life is I wish I would have yeah right yeah. I wish I would have studied harder for that test I wish I would have paid attention to that girl who might've been my future wife, I wish I would have showed up to practice on time. Right. I wish I would have done the push-ups I said I did. And in reality, it doesn't always work, but you tell them, you try and educate them and you try and educate them multiple times so that you don't have to hear that. Right. Uh, you know, it's new math and you said it four times three equals six, right? <laughs> four, times, four times three equals six. And sometimes it equals eight because I'd prefer not to kick if you don't have to. I'd prefer Great. to go for two and stretch you out, but that's just me. Hey, buddy, um,
1: you say that, I tell my guys, if you give me six and four, I said, I said uh, like uh, three and eight is three. I said, if you give me a touchdown and two point three times, let's what is that? I said, it's four. And I said, wait a minute, six and eight <laughs> three is four. I said, four possession lead, buddy. That's yep. what I need. Give me 24 points up there.
0: Yep. I agree 100%. So with that being said, new coach, two years at Wayneville coming in, you've given us a lot of highs about Wayneville facilities, intellect, IQ. You talked about Arkansas and the difference and not having those extra days that they have in Arkansas. How important is it in Missouri, Class 5, or any class for that matter, to win your first game?
1: Your momentum is huge here. And when you go through a grueling summer like what we have and the way things go here, mentally and from the aspect of the kids believing in themselves and what we as coaches are selling, winning the first game gives you a leg up in those areas. It allows trust to grow amongst the team, in my opinion, and it could set you off in the stratosphere because some of us, like in our conference, the Ozark Conference, week one, is a conference game, there's no tune-up. So you win week one, you are halfway, you and half the field are now in first place. And sometimes kids won't ever hear that because they lose the first one and depending on whatever feelings they had from the season before that have now carried over and now all of a sudden feeling like this year after one game, like, oh man, I thought it was gonna be different. It's the same old, same old. And everybody knows that there's a different feeling when you come back to practice the day after a win Compared to a day after a loss. And if you lose week one and it's a, you get drilled, or like we call it, taken out of woodshed and got, got donkey stomped in week one, <laughs> okay, you got some damage control and you got to regroup not only the kids, but now the coaches. Some of us are in the office scratching heads, wondering if we forgot what we were doing over the last 24 hours. You know, it's, it's the, the, the wagon wheel of second guessing just rolls and rolls and rolls. But like for us, winning when I first got here, winning week, week one would have meant beating a rival. And it would have meant ending the streak, even more so making more sweeter because it was who we were playing. Mm. Uh, it actually took us week four before we jumped over that hurdle. Week two, we almost did it, lost by three points. Uh, but week one and three were two beatdowns that we didn't want to talk about anymore. you know. Yeah. And, and seeing the kids still hang on, it was difficult. Because you're talking, we're a month into the season. And we finally get our first win on the board. And then that fresh air comes in and everybody feels renewed, you know, and you follow it up the next week with another win. And all of a sudden you got two back to back and the streak is alive. And Hey, we're back. Things are good. And, and and that was what set us off. When we had that opportunity this past season, we truly felt we should have won week one. And it became the Labor Day Sunday, Monday practice that uh, around here the kids refer to as the go home practice sessions <laughs> <laughs> because We honestly felt like we prepared like we should, but we didn't play like we should. And when it was all said and done, there were very few guys in that locker room that were willing to admit to such. You know, just to take the accountability to say, you know what? You're right. We didn't play like we should. Instead, it became a name game and a blame game. And I wasn't going to allow that apple seed to start rotting the rest of the group. So one by one, those who didn't want to perform that day at practice just got a two-finger salute. Peace out, brother. You go to the locker room. You can go home which actually meant they had to wait outside the door because we locked the facility. So
0: <laughs> <Nice>.
1: <laughs> a couple of those turkey heads had to wait about 45 minutes to an hour before they got let in there, you know. But it meant the world to our kids to understand that us coaches, we wanted to see them be successful in that matter, you know. And when they got the victory, we celebrated them just as much as they wanted to celebrate with each other. And, and I've, I've always told our guys, and I'll say this every single day, I don't care who hears it, when we lose a game my name's on a letterhead it's my fault put me on the front page when we win a game every player assistant manager food coordinator bus driver all of them had something to do with it put me at the back of the bus i'll come off last because it's i don't care if i get the credit I, my coaches understand that i know that when if we go on the field and win the state championship that i'm going to get probably offered to go to a lot of different awards banquets but i don't do it by myself you know you guys are with me in the process and when we lose, I'm in the front now. Throw the rocks my way, hit me. You guys go keep doing what you're supposed to do, and I'll deal with everything outside of the locker room.
2: This will be the first year that, that Jeff City has ever been in a conference, which in the history of the school, which is amazing enough, to where there's going to be a lot of, of regional games around here that people have wanted for years, like we're going to actually play Helias, which sure. you could rob this town entirely blind week seven of this football season, because people have wanted to see that game forever. We've played every other sport except football, and we're going to do it. I mean, how hard really is it to to get the kids to understand this? This could set the tone for not only the conference season, but but ours, because you mentioned the first game is very important. For Jeff City, this is going to be different. What, what kind of advice would you give to anybody up here?
1: I, I say don't overthink it, number one and try to make sure they understand that everything is a step towards the end game, which is the playoffs. In Missouri, compared to Arkansas, the weirdest thing here is if you win a conference championship, it really doesn't mean anything. You just get a T-shirt in your town, and everybody's like, hey, good job. Yep. In Arkansas, a conference title means the number one seed in the playoffs. And everybody that falls in line after that, that's how your seeding is set, and you're either going to be four or five teams, depending on the, the, large, uh, the size of your school with the classifications. And like in Arkansas, 7, 6, and 5A are going to take four teams. But 4, 3, and 2 are going to get five out of each conference. And so you may be in the 4A conference, but if you're in the 4A East, hey, you better be one of the top five, or guess what? You're going to be watching football. Here, a conference title, i try to make sure the kids don't get their heads sucked around that too much. I throw that as, hey, that's the cherry on top. But if you don't lose – I said, if you lose week one – the thing I would tell you is this. Remember, you still have eight more opportunities to set yourself up to be the best playoff team you can be. And whether you are at home or on the road, you're going to have to do both when it gets to that point. In Arkansas, if you're the one seed, you're at home every game unless you get beat and somebody then takes your place as the home seed. Or a, or a higher seed will, is always going to be the home team, period. Here, you don't have that advantage. You get to host the first one, and then depending on what it looks like three weeks later, you're either going to be on the road or back home. So you got to be able to play in both environments and understand that week one is not the end game. It's just the start of the game. And you can turn that thing around in 24 hours, the same way you lost the game in 48 minutes.
0: Absolutely. So we're in Missouri. The debate is public versus private. Do you have, do you have an opinion?
1: Well, it's, it's really a sticky web, I think at the end of the day, if you have a private school, for example, like Christian brothers is over in St. Louis, right? They have, a, they have a very wide variety and vast, I guess, scale of players that they can reach out to just within their region that can allow them to be, you know, really great. But the public schools can also beat those guys. Now, don't get me wrong. If you've got a team stacked with 25 Division I athletes, odds are you're probably a safe bet to win it all. But in the smaller areas, you know, like here, there's no private schools in these small towns the rural areas in the Ozarks, it's public all the way across the board. We Could you run into one of those guys later down the road? Sure, but football is all about the, the David and Goliath mentality. In some way, somehow, somebody's the favorite and somebody's the underdog in every single game. Really, you only thing is we can do as coaches is control how our kids' mindset is affected by such, you know. You go to class six, oh, man, you got Christian Brothers and you got the Kansas City schools and you got this one and that one. Hey, they got two shoes. They got laces. They've got two legs, and they got a belt they got to put on with a helmet. Let's strap it up and let that so-called big school, private school, show. Let's show them how we work hard in the public school setting. If that's how you have to spin it to motivate your kids, I I just think that ultimately we can't do that. There's nothing to. There's no need to to gripe on the whole. Well, it's not fair because you can train your kids just like they train theirs. (laughs) All right, their entire team isn't full of studs. They have, a, they have a few more studs in most teams, but those teams lose. Most people have, have heard of a Pulaski Academy down in Arkansas with Coach Kevin Kelly. Okay, yeah, people in Arkansas can't stand PA because they win all the time. No, they don't. They win three or four times in a decade, and then they might go five years before they win a state title, but nobody says anything during those five years until they win another one, and it's, oh, here they come again, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at the stats, are the private schools really winning that much of the percentage of the state championships? If you really broke it down, that's what I would ask you. Or is it just a perception? It's a good point. You know, mm-hmm. So if your perception is, well, they win everything, well, let's go look on their wall. Uh, no, they didn't win one last year. Christian Brothers didn't win it this year. They won it the season before. What about in 17? What about the last 10 years? How many state championships do they have? So it's not that serious. They maybe go deep into the playoffs, but somebody beats them. Those are kids over there. They might be 17- or 18-year-old gifted athlete kids, (laughs) a little bit more than what we normally have in our deck of cards, but they can be beat because, like you say, uh, they're not undefeated every year, and they don't win it every year. Either show up and play with them and compete or sit back and make excuses. But my guys, if we're running up against them, hey, I'm telling my guys, let's go. That's the biggest dog on the block. Let's go take him off his chain and see what he can do or see if he runs back in that doghouse and tucks his tail. Because we're going to go down fighting. I don't care if we're down 500 points or up 500 points. We're going to whip your tail every single play. We're going to at least come at you, you know, nibble our ankle or something.
2: (laughs) We ask you off air, Coach Duke and I contend that there is only three ways to run the football. And we actually put up a Twitter poll on this. It's been several weeks. We had some people disagree with us and we're like, well, come on here and prove it. Ain't heard a word from anybody. It's just like crickets all over the place. But we always ask the guests, do they believe there's only three ways to run the football, that it's inside the tackles, outside the tackles, or option, which gives you basically an inside the tackle look and outside. Do you agree, disagree, got something to add to it? What's your thoughts?
1: Inside tackles, outside or option. And if you run the option, that means literally you can either run it inside or you're going to go outside. That's correct. Get sweep. If you hand it off, it's going to go outside. I, I mean, I, really, there's there's only three, yeah. When it comes to the run game, you're either inside or outside, or option pitch of some sort. Be a zone option. Uh, whatever your offensive – you could be the wishbone, bone, whatever bone, dinosaur bone, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> if you're pitching the ball, it's an option. So, yeah,
0: I would agree with that. We're winning. We're winning.
2: Somebody tried to argue with us one time. We're like, well, what, what are you going to run backwards? I mean, I, I guess you could, but where else are you going to run the ball? And
1: even if so. you take a person that wants to really argue, well, what about the quarterback scrambling? Well, that, he's got to go one way or the other. He's going to go inside by them linemen or he's going to go outside around them. So if you're a defensive guy and you're breaking down run game and you've got a kid who's like, I don't understand what to read. You talk about jab coaching. Look, son, he can either go in, out, or they're going to option it. It ain't that hard. Just find the ball and go get it.
0: Pretty easy. Pretty easy. (laughs) Pretty easy. We had somebody say misdirection, and we're like, well, where's the ball going? Yeah. (laughs) Is he
1: running out of bounds? (laughs) Where's he going? The the detail in that entire deal is the ball, not the movement, not the motions, not the alignment. The ball. Does it end up going in, out, or option? And yeah, at the end of the day, if you're going to run the ball, that's it. Because even RPOs, that's considered a pass. Right. you can't even you can't even throw that in there for those new age guys or let me ask you guys a question. How many times have you guys heard somebody use the phrase pin and pull? And then you oh, look at them and say, draw it up, and you see it and you go, Man, that's buck sweep. Are you guys with me?
2: Yeah. Okay. I, I don't disagree. Okay. Because I It's just a fancy way, yeah, <laughs> of saying <laughs> Man, it.
1: I wish I can go on ESPN. Because I would love to say pin and pull. I mean buck sweep. And People <laughs> are gonna say, what's <laughs> buck sweep? I'll be I'll be famous. i shoot they'll have me on Monday Night Football like they got a uh, uh, what's it the booger? That's <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> that's right. I mean at the end of the day, it's hook driving down. That's
1: I'm that's the block. Sub- somebody is. oh buddy. But I love I love how we as football people try to do like education and give a new acronym or a new phrase for something that was been around for 50 years already. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah it's been around a while.
1: All concepts. Everybody's got a name for their wheel. It is what it
2: is. It's <laughs> amazing the terms some people come up with sometimes. they be like, well, that's this. I'm like, put that in English. You know, just explain yeah. it to me in plain English here. It's just crazy sometimes.
1: Brother, I was in St. Louis for a clinic this past February prior to COVID-19, so I'm good, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and this guy got – he was from Iowa, high school coach from Iowa – First off, he started off the topic saying that he's probably the most paranoid high school coach in the state of Iowa, let alone this side of the Mississippi, and talked about how they changed play calls in pregame because they were concerned that the team across the field had got a hold of their playbook. And this guy started breaking down inside zone. The reason I'm sitting in there is because he said, inside zone, three ways to run it. I'm like, oh, great. I want to hear these. He never got past how the center explains the down block to the left block to the right. <laughs> what in the world? 40 minutes, guys. 40 minutes. And he said, Oh, by the way, my center is going to Navy. He's going to be a nuclear engineer. Well, that's why he made it hard, because that joker's brain is complex more than all of ours. <laughs> I'm like, that zone level's all right, whatever you want to number it. It's simple. Two on two, going to block one. And somebody's solo, leave him alone. Climb and go.
2: Here we go. Boy. We'll give you one here. I, I doubt this dude will ever listen to this podcast. But we went out to Denver. Uh, it was last year to one of the glazier clinics out there. Don't say his last we name. To, Just say. I, I won't say his last name. And we went to listen to this guy by the name of Andrew talk that night. And pretty successful coach. Like, he's won a lot of stuff. I'm like, you know, this might be pretty good. So it was me, Coach Duke, our head coach, Coach Walker, went, went down there to listen to this guy. And he's talking about naked bootleg series, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And finally, Coach Duke turned around to me and he goes, "Hey, if you run this defense, this isn't gonna work against that." And out of nowhere, like forty minutes into this presentation, the guy goes, "But if you run this defense, it doesn't work." <laughs> and, and he's like, "But if you don't, but if you do this, that doesn't work either. But if you do that, it doesn't work, work either." And we walked out of there, and we all three looked at each other. And Coach Walker goes, "That play." was one big contingency. Oh my god. It was it was yeah. the worst presentation I've ever heard in my life and uh, then we walked outside and it was snowing which made my life yeah. a little better. Uh-huh. But <laughs> it was it was brutal. It was absolutely it's brutal. Crazy. Didn't learn it's a crazy. thing.
1: You find that there's a lot of guys like that that take something and and they don't really think it through. I mean, you say, "Hey, here's a good concept for a certain situation," which is all football really is, you know, an unlimited amount of situations. And if you're just having to know the yeah. perfect one every, every time, hey, then maybe you got a genie in your pocket or something, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> but it really all it boils down to is, okay, typical situations naturally, right? All right, This is what a typical person's going to do. It's second and long. Hmm. Probably a screen, probably a run play. They're not going to try to get it all in the same play. You know, they got two downs to get a first down still. That That's the kind of mentality you have to have. But Hey, I got the perfect play. It can never be stopped. Oh, right. Okay. big, long enough.
0: Somebody like <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We've really enjoyed our time here. The Waynesville Tigers are in good hands. Black and – or, I'm sorry, orange and black, they've they've been good to you, and you look good in those colors, Coach. And I couldn't see everything that that sign says, but it says a good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. It's 100%. percent has
2: got a great one. Too, Waynesville's
0: coach. got a great one. Congratulations, Coach! I hope you have a lot of success there. I hope you uh, move up the ranks as you should. And we've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for being here for another episode of Process Preparation Performance. It's me, Coach Simmons. Coach Joe Haynes. Go check them out on Friday nights at Waynesville. Okay.